Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. It's Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's me, Cindy Howes. I host this podcast. Thanks for listening today. Carolyn Kendrick is who we are talking to. She is a California musician who lived in Maine for a bit and also relocating very soon back to Nashville. Her California childhood was filled with music, from listening to music to musicians in her family, particularly her father, a professional jazz drummer. And along with having a well-revered musician in her family came overcoming the reputation that preceded her, as well as a special relationship with the beat, not only as a guitarist, but a fiddler. She talks about her connection to rhythm and how it lives strongly in her and her songs. I first met Carolyn at the Miles of Music Camp on Three Mile Island in New Hampshire, which is one of the most wonderful music communities you could find. She has found many communities in life, like Berkeley College of Music, Austin, Texas, Nashville, and very recently her time in Maine. She's been living in rural Maine throughout the pandemic with her husband, Alex Steed. The two of them actually started a podcast called You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Alex and the writer Sarah Marshall, who also hosts You're Wrong About, dig into movies every week with a special guest. Carolyn produces and writes a song inspired by the movie or covers a song from the soundtrack. Carolyn is an exquisite editor for the pod, and she gets into how that has translated into her musical life. Make sure you listen to You Are Good right after this episode and after you listen to her EP, Tear Things Apart. The podcast You Are Good has an album, and depending on what day you're listening to, it comes out on October 1st, so it's either out now on Carolyn Kendrick's Bandcamp page or it'll be out tomorrow. We're going to take a listen to a song from the brand new You Are Good album, which again is on Carolyn's Bandcamp page. This is the song Sweet Marissa, which she did for their episode based on Dazed and Confused. We'll get into this track and then our conversation with Carolyn Kendrick on Basic Folk. Sweet Marissa Sisters been checked off my list And if I'd known how much I was gonna miss you I would have never let you go Sweet Marissa Carolyn Kendrick, what's going on? How are you? Oh, you know, I am so good. I am very, very good. It's hot here in the great state of Maine, which, well, maybe it's not hot outside, but I am recording in my attic, so my attic is hot. But I am I am holding on to every last drop of hotness, even though that's a weird way to put it. I am holding on to every last bit of summer that I can. So I'm appreciating what I've got. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy to talk to you today. When we last saw each other, you were telling me about your hometown mm-hmm. of Stockton, California. And I was hoping that we could start with Stockton um, and a couple of different questions, but in particularly, um, Stockton, California, mm-hmm. landed on the national radar last year with this dramatic mayoral race, 
which you told me was documented on a three-part series on the NPR podcast, Invisibilia, which is an incredibly good listen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I checked it out after we talked about it, and just, like my mind was like completely blown. Can you talk about that and your experience with the characters involved? Yeah, absolutely. So... Well, Stockton has always historically been kind of a wild place. Like, it's one of those places where just kind of crazy stuff just tends to end up happening. And of course, politics is always crazy. But because of like the way that Stockton politics has always been, and then also just because of the makeup of the city and its history, we're about 45 minutes south of Sacramento and we're about an hour and a half outside of the Bay Area. If you like were to try to throw like a dart into the bullseye of California, like dead center, we are basically dead center of California. And so, yeah, so it's we're in the San Joaquin Valley. It's a port town. It's like its nickname is Port City. So it's the kind of place where you can be like driving through fields and then just see this like big tanker boat driving by like through this, you know, because it's (laughs) there's like water everywhere, but you can't always see it. So and then it's also got Mm -hmm. these two big highways that run through it. And it is it's a city. It's a big it's a big place, but it's also kind of a small town feel in a lot of ways. And it has, you know, multiple colleges, but also contends with a lot of poverty and also just has a lot of, you know, issues just like every American place. But not to kind of go on and on and on, but like this kind of microcosm happened in Stockton where kind of these big national debates that were happening ended up also getting funneled into these more local localized debates. So we had our first black mayor elected recently. I guess this was in 2016. And then we most we recently had another election and he was not he was not reelected because of this kind of wild thing that's been going on, which is, you know, I guess the way that Invisibilia put it is that it's like America's Russian trolls, but happening exactly in in Stockton, California. And there's just been this wild, like kind of dirge of misinformation happening where this kind of specific set of people did not particularly like this mayor and did not like his progressive policies, but also had kind of a personal vendetta, it seems as well. And so, you know, in the city has so much distrust with politicians kind of rightfully so with our with our history. And so just this really, really wild story panned out where this, in my opinion, competent mayor ended up being not recalled because it was a regular election, but he wasn't reelected because of this, you know, really heated misinformation campaign. Yeah, there's one website in particular that they kept referencing over and over again in 209 times. Mm-hmm. Which 209 is the um, the area code. Yeah, yeah. For Stockton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a website that's like still in operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like you go to the website and you immediately, you know, like listening to you talk about all of that definitely gives you a feel for what's going on. But then if you just go to 209 times, you could, you are like, oh, okay, I understand <laughs> exactly what kind of weird circling the drain garbage t- situation this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was a wild three-part series on invisibilia, but like to actually like come from, from that has to be... It's just, it's got to be otherworldly. It definitely is. I, I am glad that Stockton is getting a lot more... I guess more more of a critical lens in the news, I would say, because for a, for a long time we basically were just in the news for bad things, and I do find it to be a a incredibly vibrant city. There, I've I I just know so many great people from there, and it has such a wealth of experience and just you know great people, great mm. great things, and so. Yeah. But it is a complex place, just like everywhere, and so I'm glad that Invisibilia kind of dove into that a little bit more and. I, I feel like they did a really great job of showing like kind of how incredibly crazy of a place it is and how crazy the characters are. Mm-hmm. And but also, you know, lending maybe like agnosticism to the situation rather than it being like, oh, mm-hmm. we have to paint Stockton as like a a bad place or a good place. You know, it's like it, it, I think it treated yeah. the situation very fairly. But I d- it did this situation in particular really did come into 
Like it, it became an issue because like newspapers have not been funded like as they should. And we have no real actual news sources in Stockton the way that there historically used to be. Like the record is just not a place mm-hmm. that you can really go for quick up-to-date news. And so that's the hole that this the 209 Times was really filling is like, okay, like there are some actual things that I really need to be abrasive. If I am a Stockton citizen, I need to know if things are happening. It can be a dangerous place. Um, also, like I would like to know when there are art events happening or when there are concerts. And you can't really find those things out from our no- local newspaper anymore. In that same way. And so I think that, you know, this is not happening just only in Stockton, but in a lot of mid-level cities where there aren't, where journalism is not um, appropriately funded. Yeah. 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 It's really, it's really true. And it's really, it's really hard and sad to see mm-hmm. uh, that kind of impact on, on communities, mm-hmm. you know, from all angles. So let's talk about music in your family growing mm-hmm. up. Um, how was music treated in terms of like being um, music listeners and in terms of playing music? Yeah, totally. So I come from a musical family. My grandparents are musicians, my aunts and uncles, my parents. Um, so there was definitely a lot of music in my life growing up. And for that, I'm very thankful. But none of it was string music. None of it was really all that much songwriters i guess i guess some here and there but my family comes from a band background both marching band and jazz bands my dad is a jazz drummer and um everybody else works in you know concert band marching band mm-hmm. that type of thing so the music that i was around quite a lot was kind of that more formalized music. You know, my parents were both in the symphony. My grandfather was in the Lubbock Symphony for a long time. Um, and I didn't, I, I played a lot of that music growing up. I, my first instrument really was percussion and drums and things like that. And I was in drumline and, but I, I really connected with the music that I connected with through my dad. You know, he would show me different records that I really, you know, still love, you know, lots of R&B and country and, and jazz and, and, you know, singer songwriters and, you know, people like Marvin Gaye or Joni Mitchell or, you know, people like that. So I kind of got my, my in into like, quote unquote, popular music through my dad. And Mm. that's really how we bonded and things like that. But I, my first like real instrument that I really was taking lessons on was the violin and I was doing Suzuki violin. So I started around four, which is pretty common for Suzuki and, and, and Suzuki yeah. just for people who don't know, it's learning by ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mainly. Yeah. yeah. It's learning by ear and different teachers use kind of different variations on the pedagogy, but it's a lot of learning by ear, but also, you know, you learn by ear and then you learn how to sight read from what you have learned. So there's definitely like a component of, at least for me, there was a lot of like reading music as well. And also a lot of like being in orchestras and, and things like that. Yeah. I would imagine that would make you very quickly. I don't know if you'd be able to recognize this as a young person, but to be like a very versatile type of player with that kind of, with the Suzuki learning method? Yeah, I have I have lots of positive things to say about Suzuki. I think it's a really good way to get kids to engage with music in a way that they might not be able, able to otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely, if you're, if you're interested in having a kid learn any type of like quote unquote traditional pedagogy, like any kind of like classical adjacent music, I think Suzuki is definitely the best way to go mm. because it it just does not make any sense to me to learn something by paper first and then by ear. And maybe that's because of my background, but I definitely think that it's a great, a great way to go about learning how to do mm. things. And I wouldn't say that I necessarily became a versatile player because of Suzuki <laughs> or anything like that. Like that was more so, you know, it was kind of expected that I was going to be playing a, a musical instrument in my family. And that just happened to be the one that I don't even know if I gravitated towards it, honestly. Like, I really didn't truly fall in love with, like, the violin or the fiddle until I got into college. But mm. um, or maybe late high school. But it definitely gave me, like, tools to build versatility later. 
but I don't think that versatility is inherently built into that system. I think that's something you have to okay. develop afterwards. Oh, so many questions. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I want to hear more about your relationship to the beat and rhythm, um, especially in terms of like connecting with your dad and mm -hmm. maybe how he got you to appreciate that and how it continues to like resonate in your music. Oh, totally. I Yeah, so I, I really started playing drums like I guess around the same time that I started playing the violin and that really was what was in most interesting to me growing up and I would say that my playing now is like heavily informed by the drums and I think that mm. you know when I'm teaching at fiddle camps or when I'm you know teaching songwriting things or whatever like I often tend to maybe overemphasize learning about rhythm because it's just something that a lot of people don't really ever like put their elbow grease into um or it's not mm -hmm. it's maybe like an after fact but uh, for me I think it's kind of like the root of what makes most music interesting or at least the music that I tend to gravitate towards and yeah I'm like infinitely thankful to my dad for us being able to have that connection and things like that and I'm I'm really grateful that I was able to be in things like drumline and you know learned all my rudiments and I went to I went to, you know, I went to band camp every summer. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And I definitely think I had a, a big impact on how I play and how I improvise and how I write songs. That's great. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to hear that you didn't really love the fiddle until you were in college, seeing how you, how you went to college for music mm -hmm. and the violin was your first instrument, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, after the, after the drums. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So can you talk about the, the violin in terms of like what it was really like when you first started playing with it and how you came to fall in love with it? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was actually listening to your interview with Rachel recently with Rachel Bayman, and that was like such a great interview. But there were a lot of things that Rachel said that really resonated with me and my experience for any of your listeners that haven't listened to that definitely would recommend. But um, But yeah, I grew up doing... Suzuki and like kind of the thing that really kept me going with that was the social aspect of it. Um, the other important thing with the pedagogy of Suzuki is that you not only have one-on-one -on -one lessons, but you often also have group lessons. So most of my friends played violin. That's where like a big part of my social life came from. And mm. the fun part of playing violin for me was being able to play these songs with my friends who were also learning these same songs at the same time and we could connect over what was hard, what we liked, what we didn't like, things like that. And, you know, in retrospect, the social element and being able to share the music was really what did it for me. It wasn't necessarily the literal violin, but then I got into high school and I started playing in bands that were not, you know, orchestras or as my my good friend Steve Roy, Roy would say, the dorchestra. Um <laughs> <laughs> But I, yeah. but uh, yeah, I started playing in actual bands and I didn't play I, at that point. I was kind of starting to move away from the drums, not so much because I didn't love them anymore, but kind of because of like this, there was kind of like a gender element to it. And also I was like a teenager and kind of trying to establish my independence from my parents. Like I was trying to become my own person. Oh, wow. And a lot of people knew me as like Brian Kendrick's daughter, you know, the drummer's daughter. Yeah. So I was like, well, I think I would like to know who I am before I try to be that. And so it kind of felt like mm -hmm. my only options were to play violin and to sing in these bands. And mm -hmm. um, also all the bands that already existed already had drummers. So <laughs> that was also part of it. Um, and then when I started joining bands, I really, in retrospect, it makes sense that like like the social element and playing with other people is really what made me fall in love. And then I got to college. I went to Berkeley and I was part of the uh, the American Roots program. And uh, like I just absolutely fell head over heels. Like I it all kind of finally like clicked. Like not only like my love for the fiddle 
Like, I think it's fair to say, like, I don't necessarily love the violin. I love the fiddle. And I love mm. being able to, like, play tunes with other people. I love writing fiddle tunes. I love being part of the kind of, you know, like, new acoustic scene, things like that. Um, but it's definitely because of the social element and you get to share music with other people and you're part of this larger tapestry. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, we met through a really lovely music community, mm-hmm. uh, the Miles of Music Camp um, in New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, so how do you think playing music in community makes you a better player, makes you a better listener? Oh, God. I mean, like, the same way, like, is if you don't experience any other people and you're only experiencing your own experience, like, there's only so far you can really... there's only so far your perspective can go if you're really only listening to yourself. And Mm. I mean, I just like, this might sound sappy or like over dramatic, but at least after this, after, you know, pandemic times, like whenever I play music with people now, whenever I sing songs or whenever I play fiddle tunes with other people, I like really feel right. This is the meaning of life or at least the meaning of my life is. Yeah. I, I honestly like get a little emotional thinking about how powerful it is. I you just I don't know, like I guess it's the experience of empathy or like feeling like you're not necessarily like in your body, like you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're mm. I don't know. It just feels it feels big, it feels universal, it feels really, really good if you're doing it with the right people. And yeah, I feel grateful for it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you are someone who uh, connects deeply with nature and being outside. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Totally. Um, How did your early experiences of nature in California, going back to your home state, inform your love of nature? Oh, great question. Um, You know, I so I, I did grow up in California and I went to school there and things like that, but my family is from Texas and... I spent a lot of time in Texas as well, in central Texas, outside of Austin. And in California, especially at least in Stockton, like I didn't spend a ton of time outside with the exception of gardening with my mom. And gardening is a big part of my life now. And mm-hmm. that's definitely mm-hmm. the way that I connect with nature now is that I have a big garden. But, um, you know, when I was in Texas, my grandparents lived on a farm or they had a a bunch of property and there was like a creek and things like that. And that was kind of the only time I could ever really just like be, I don't want to say be myself, but I definitely felt the most myself when I was out there and I felt like the most tuned into things. And I think partially it's like the solitude and being able to listen to your thoughts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do you see your passions for nature and music running alongside each other? Hmm. Well, I definitely feel like, like similarly to how when I am playing music with other people, it feels like I'm part of this bigger thing and I am, you know, I'm not, there's, I can kind of like get rid of my ego a little bit and I, I don't have to necessarily... I mean, sometimes there is some of that, like, but hopefully not if you're in the right environment. You, the fiddle players aren't trying to like one up each other. Well, ideally not. <laughs> sometimes they definitely do, but if if that happens, maybe you're in the wrong jam. <laughs> um, uh, so, but yeah, I kind of feel that same way when I'm in nature and you know hiking or, I mean, I don't hike all that much these days, but you know when I I do love being outside and. You know, like I I just feel like I'm part of something. I feel like it's something I can give back to, you know, by whatever. Gardening is my kind of big thing these days. Like I can compost. I can like do all these different things Mm. that are not, yeah, aren't like egocentric. And Mm. yeah, and it's cathartic and very meditative as well. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Are you a summer birthday? I am an April birthday. I am an Aries. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But it seems like summer is your season. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think like that's partially since like I grew up in hot places, like 
April was always like hot by the time, you know, like it wasn't, I couldn't believe it when I moved to Massachusetts and it's just like freezing. Yeah. April is a joke. Yeah, I know. I like honestly can't believe it. I I always try to plan my year so that I'm in like in April and May, I'm like in a hot place because I just can't, I can't Mm. handle it being cold for that long. So when you first started to write your own music, can you talk a little bit about that, like how it felt to express yourself through song and maybe how you felt yourself changing because of that experience? Ooh, yeah. Um, well, this is another thing that I really related to with Rachel. She was talking about getting started with 10 String Symphony and how mm-hmm. she's, she started, you know, writing songs kind of out of necessity. And that kind of was my path to songwriting as well. I was in a duo called the Page Turners for a long time. And um, it was as mandolin and fiddle. And then occasionally one of us would play guitar. But there's kind of like only... There's only so much sonic room you can take up with those frequencies of those instruments since they're both kind of trebly high-end instruments. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, well, I am interested in songwriting. I am interested in singing. And, you know, I I sang a lot growing up, but then I kind of stopped for a while. Um, And so I wanted to kind of dive back into it and things like that. And so because of that band is really when I started writing songs, just kind of out of necessity. And then over, and that was, I don't know, in the mid 2010s, I guess. And then, uh, yeah, and then just, I totally fell in love with it. And now it's what I wish I could do all day, every day. (laughs) Totally. Um, Were you saying, I read somewhere that you have a background in theater that true? I do. I have been. I don't know if that's like. I I do have a background in. That's that is true. Like it's whenever I if somebody were to ask me about like oh what are the things that you've done in your life like the theater isn't the first thing that comes to mind. However, it is true. I have been involved in a lot of theater in my life. Yeah. On stage. Um, as a kid, yeah, I did a lot of acting and less so once I got into like upper high school, but I often would be like, you know, in roles like, oh, like I'll be like the fiddler for like a Christmas carol, or I'd be like the fiddler for whatever, a f- like fiddler on the roof, you know, things like that, where it's like, you're not really acting, you're just there with your instrument. Um, yeah. Hmm. But interesting. Yeah. There wasn't any like musical theater stuff going on oh definitely a lot of musical theater when I was a kid and and you know like I think my peak musical theater days were early high school and middle school and things and things like that yeah so how has that informed the type of singer that you've turned out to be wow that's a great question well I think so like you know how some people consider singers to be one thing like I don't know there's this kind of like at least in musical theater and also kind of in more traditional styles of music like opera or whatever, there's this idea of the singer as being kind of like a diva or that could be a tendency that one Mm -hmm. would have. And then also there's like this gendered expectation with singers that they are not necessarily, at least when I was a kid, you know, I would be around all of these like jazz bro dudes, like because of my like who my parents' students were and things like that. And like, Mm -hmm. there was kind of this uh, expectation that like there were singers and then there were musicians. And I, oh yeah. And I really don't think that that is true at all. I think that like to be a singer, you have to be an incredible musician. Mm -hmm. Um, But I unfortunately kind of took that to heart for a long time. And I think that's kind of, I like totally stopped singing for a long time. Like really, like all of college, like even past college a little bit. Like I was like, no, I'm going to, I want to be a musician. I want to be a musician. I want to like know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then like, as I kind of started to examine that and I started singing here or there and jams and things like that, I I was like, oh, this is like a ridiculous ridiculous idea that I don't know probably some like dumbass 17 year old said to me in passing like when I but then I just really took it to heart but right since I've started to sing again in the last like I don't know um I don't know five six seven years I've learned a ton from musical theater singers like 
my cousin is an incredible musical theater singer and she shares like her lessons with me and things like that all the time so i like she'll record them and then i'll do the exercises and stuff with her like but on you know via voice memos or whatever yeah that's cool i love that yeah oh god you know what i really love when I'm relating to a couple of things that you're saying in terms of like some dumb 17-year-old guy told me this or like when you were talking about how you kind of were backing away from drumming because of a, a gendered thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so great when you like get to a point in your life where you're like, that's actually not true. Totally. You know, like, and, and it's great. Yeah, absolutely. To overcome. Oh, God, yeah. Great. I want to hear more about um, the atmosphere at Berkeley and um, how you found and how you like wove yourself into the music community in Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel not everybody has had this experience at Berkeley, and it's definitely a, an institution with many pitfalls. But I had an incredible experience there, um, and I was really lucky to be able to do it like relatively affordably, like. Um, which is, I think, often a big factor as to if people, you know, have good experiences or bad there, whether they can, you know, literally afford to be in this super expensive place. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was lucky to have some scholarships and not have to like super duper worry about, you know, making ends meet. And uh, yeah, and I kind of, I got to Berkeley, like not totally knowing what I was going to do. Like, I started, you know, my primary instrument was violin and I was like really into the idea of being like a jazz violinist at that time, but like not to like bring everything back to these like gendered circumstances, but like the, the culture of jazz has always felt to me, I mean, it's like a pretty patriarchal music just as like many, Mm -hmm. many American musics are just as bluegrasses too. Um, but like I just like wasn't wasn't like quite meshing in exactly, and I, like I couldn't really figure out why. And then I started taking lessons like through the um, American Roots program, and I started taking lessons with like Daryl Anger and Bruce Molsky and um, you know Joe Walsh and you know just like all of these incredible people. And I realized that the reason I wasn't like super meshing with the jazz scene was because I like didn't really like playing jazz that much, which seems like kind of an obvious thing. But like it felt it was like something that I felt like I was supposed to be doing because I love improvising. And that was kind of the only way I Mm. knew of to improvise like previously in my life it was like okay well you could either be a classical musician you could go in a marching band you could teach or you could be in jazz like those were the ways forward that I knew and then learning about the Roots program it was just like this Cambrian explosion of like energy and I really found all these people that I really loved and I like connected with a musical community for the first time and I realized like how fun it was you know, to like play and share and do all this stuff. Music is fun. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of this like thing that I rediscover every time I play, but also every so often where I'm like, right, this is like really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm also like wondering about, you know, your dad is a jazz musician and your parents have played in symphonies. So it seems like there was this like kind of expectation maybe not from them directly, but like from you subconsciously Mm -hmm. of what kind of music that you would play. But now you're at Berkeley and you've discovered that like roots music, fiddle is the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is it like though to kind of like give up on that expectation or kind of like give up on that dream of being a jazz player? Well, it it felt pretty liberating actually because like then it was there wasn't this like pressure to be like oh I have to be a jazz musician because if I'm not a jazz musician then there's no way for me to improvise so it was really liberating to be like okay like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna learn this totally different thing that doesn't negate my experience with jazz and now I feel like I feel more connected now with jazz than ever because like I can learn from it I can study it I you know I learn stuff I learned jazz stuff all the time and I have this deep appreciation for it now mm. that I didn't have then because there was like all this pressure involved in it and 
now it's just something that I enjoy and can incorporate into my life. I love it. Yeah. Oh, great answer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so when did you move to Austin? Ah, yes. Um, let's see. I moved to Austin. So like I graduated from Berkeley in 2016 and then I was I was on the road a bunch. And then I guess I must have moved in 2017. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I moved in 2017. And I moved to be partially because I love the Austin scene, but also partially to be closer to my family. Um, mm, okay, yeah. all right. And then what was that time like in Austin? And then how'd you get out of there? Oh, God, I love Austin so much. It's an incredible place. And, you know, I mean, just like every place, like there's definitely like, you know, unfortunately, it's it's going through a lot of changes right now, like in the tech development sector. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are unfortunately getting priced out, even though that's kind of been the story for a long time. But that being said, I really, really love Austin. I wish that there was a way that I could like live in all of these places that I love all the time, full time. And I really miss being there. There's lots of great people. I love being able to like go to dances all the time, play, you know, just like play at all these different bars. It was a really formative time for me. I feel like that's actually where I like actually really got my fiddle chops in order. It's, you know, Texas is known as being like the Western swing place in like Texas uh, contests. Texas fiddle. Yeah. Like Texas fiddle is kind of, a, it's obviously a huge thing there, but there's also a huge bluegrass scene and it's kind of a trad bluegrass scene as well. And like, you know, I like started learning about fiddle at Berkeley and I, I was kind of, I kind of have my like baby fiddle legs under me. And then I moved to Austin and then I was just like playing bluegrass, like literally every night. And so that's kind of where I got, I feel like I got kind of my chops, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's great. And then how did you get to Nashville? Yeah. Then, so I moved to Austin partially because of musical reasons and also partially because of family reasons. Yeah. My grandmother had been sick and she lived, she lived in Seguin, which is outside of Austin, which is also where Nancy Griffiths is from, RIP. Wow. And, um, so we were kind of dealing with some stuff surrounding like, you know, the family farm and, and things like that. And, that all kind of came to a natural conclusion. And also I was like kind of in some different personal, like, you know, I was like going through a breakup and then like also kind of getting into some new areas of interest regarding music. And I was like starting to really get into songwriting and things like that. And I kind of felt like, you know, I will always have connections to Texas. I will always be able to come back to Texas. I hope to spend more time here. You know, my family's there. I'm there all the time when it's not, you know, a raging pandemic. Um, so I just kind of felt like it was time for me to move on to the next thing in life and felt like it was kind of just just time to move on. And Nashville definitely felt like the right thing. And it felt like a place where I could kind of spread out a little bit more. Hmm. Um, and also in Nashville, you created your first solo work. So you have been mm -hmm. um, a side player. You've been in the page turners. Mm -hmm. um, but your EP, Tear Things Apart, that was your first solo venture. Mm -hmm. And you're exploring some different sounds, folk stuff, jazz, some pop. Mm -hmm. um, in that process, what were some of the things that surprised you in terms of like exploration? And what was it like getting to know yourself through creating that EP? Oh, wow. Well, you know, it was definitely a big boost for my self-confidence, I think. Um, Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I like I learned a ton through that process. And it was it was the kind of thing where like I moved to Nashville and I was like, by the end of this year, I am going to have something recorded. And I'm going to have to I'm, I'll release it as you know, as soon as it's done. Uh, and I kind of didn't really know what I was doing. Like I definitely had all these songs under my belt and I had these like ideas of how I wanted it to go, but it just felt like such a big process in the moment. I was like, like, oh God, like what if it doesn't sound good? Or what if, you know, I don't know, like all of these what ifs. And then through the process of, mm. of doing it, I realized like how much I love the actual process of it and how much I love recording, how much I love working with other people, how much I love getting to like, you know, 
cultivate and design what my band is going to sound like at any given moment and being able to, you know, hire other women is huge. That's a big thing for me. Um, Mm. And yeah, and it, it, I feel like it turned out pretty good. And (laughs) I'm, I was just really excited to be able to put all that energy in, see it come together, you know, and then just feel really excited to do the next thing. And so it was good for me to be like, okay, you know what? Yeah, I love doing this. I'm excited to keep doing it. Yeah. And also in terms of like transitioning from like being somebody who's in an ensemble or somebody who's in a band to like being like the person who's like front and center, Mm -hmm. like what kind of confidence and what kind of courage did you need to like make that leap maybe it was easy oh like i was born to do i was born (laughs) to star (laughs) well i I mean it's definitely it definitely was a big challenge for me since guitar is like my secondary instrument and a lot of the songs that i I write music i usually write my songs on guitar and i write my fiddle tunes on fiddle like i i pretty rarely write songs on fiddle um so I was like, okay, well, I definitely have to get my guitar chops up, which uh, it was like great for that to be able to be like, okay, like, yeah, I like really got to get this in order. And and also really fun to kind of start diving into those different ways that I could express myself via the guitar. Um, but it was definitely ner- like the first couple shows that I played um, were definitely really, really nerve wracking. Like, you're like, okay. And they were totally solo too kind of like just me and a guitar or just me and fiddle. And I did that intentionally so that I could kind of get used to just being like, okay, it's just me. Like it's the Carolyn Kendrick shindig now. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it feels more and more natural every time I do it. But the first couple of times I've, I felt like a baby deer. Um, right. Yeah. You see like flashing red lights. <laughs> they're coming to, they're coming to get me. Yeah. Totally. Like not, you know, wobbly knees, you know, and, but you, yeah. you kind of got to do it. You know, one of the biggest things I've learned over the course of like getting involved, you know, I've just been involved in so many different kinds of music now is like, you just have to, you, you know, you have to do things a few times and it's okay if you suck at it at first. And I don't think I sucked at this actually. I think it went pretty well, but like I've kind of alleviated or relieved myself from feeling like it has to be perfect. And now it's just like, I, you know, you just, you just do it and that's the important thing and you do it and you have fun Mm -hmm. doing it. It doesn't really matter if it's perfect. I usually make a promise with myself that I'm not going to think about whether it's going to be perfect or not and then panic on the spot (laughs) once it's not perfect. Yeah, totally. And then just sort of like really, really live by the golden rule of Mm -hmm. fake it till you make it. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Like, you know, I feel like musically I've gotten much better at practicing the like, it's fine, just do it, you know, fake it till you make it. But then just like in like actual like hobbies that I have I'm so much worse at that philosophy like anytime I'm like okay I'm gonna learn how to you know whatever sew my clothes or you know <laughs> like that's that's when I, that perfectionism comes out for me for sure totally yeah. oh man it's so annoying yeah <laughs> also in terms of like um dealing with change as we all have been dealing with change uh, Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. So you started off in Nashville where you've been wanting your home base, but Mm -hmm. you and your husband moved to Maine, actually to his hometown, Mm -hmm. like essentially like upending your plans. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that like for you to pivot, change your course? And how has this time in Maine, which is coming to an end, it seems, how's Mm -hmm. that time been treating you? Oh, man. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. So I came to Maine with the intention of just being here for a couple months to help a friend of mine um, who was on maternity leave. But I got here March 1st, 2020. It was like the day of the tornado in Nashville. And then, you know, a couple weeks. I know. And it was a wild couple, wild couple months for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, everything shut down. We had no plan. Uh, Alex, my husband, also who I do the, our, our podcast with, You Are Good, he, um, you know, he has this house out here and there were people, you know, tenants living in the upstairs of it. But so we decided to move in and we've been here and whatever. But at first it was like a total panic. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea how my life is going to be musically. I have no 
no idea what I want to do. And like last, the beginning of last summer, so I guess like May, June of 2020 was like a real, you know, just kind of sitting and looking at the sky and being like, okay, now what? Now what do we do? And and also learning OBS. Yes. Oh my God. Lots. <laughs> yes. Lots of that. Lots of that. Lots of streaming stuff. <laughs> lots of streaming stuff for sure. And yeah, but then I kind of like, you know, I finally was like, okay, like I just, I just like got to start doing something creative, like whether it's like actually performing or not. And luckily kind of like independent of me having all of these feelings about, you know, missing playing live and missing creating music with other people. Um, Alex and Sarah started You Are Good and they needed somebody to be like editing the podcasts and I, that's something I was interested in learning how to do and then they were also looking for somebody to do the music for it and that was something I was interested in doing so doing You Are Good really really helped me through this time in Maine even though it's been an incredible time it's a beautiful place I've met a lot of lovely people I feel really grateful for the time but in terms of creatively how I've been able to like gel here having this project speaking of like shirking perfectionism where like every week you have to have something done every week you have to write something every week I have to have an episode done so it's been great Mm. for just being like you know what I'm just gonna create because I have to yeah that's great yeah um for those who don't know uh you are good is a feelings podcast about movies with alex steed and sarah marshall Mm -hmm. um who are like adorable best friends Mm -hmm. and they talk about movies with friends and uh it's a really wonderful podcast if you haven't heard it um so not only are you editing the podcast like you mentioned you're also recording songs from the movies and also Mm -hmm. creating sound collages to set up the themes which Mm -hmm. i heard you uh, talk, you and Sarah Marshall actually mm-hmm. had a little conversation for your Patreon um, supporters, mm-hmm. uh, and you were kind of talking about how you make those um, those sound collages, which mm-hmm. is uh, really cool. You, you're like listening to the themes that mm-hmm. are being talked about, and then you throw those into the collages. Anyways, I'm obsessed with it, but um, I'm going to stop talking, and I want to know more about what you enjoy about the process of creating those sound collages. Oh, my gosh. They're so fun. Yeah, so I basically, yeah, so Sarah Sarah and Alex watch a movie, then they dive into the themes of the movie. They talk about the movie. They record their conversation. I edit it. At the end of the editing process, usually what they talk about is very different than what factually you know, it's they don't really go through like the exposition of the movie per se. They talk about like kind of the meta themes and like, you know, generally what the sorry, say the it again. truth bombs. Yeah, the truth bombs, the truth, you know, the truth bombs. and, um, you know, kind of what what movies mean as like a form of literature more so than just like in, in addition to just being pop culture references. So. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I tend to like, I once I've listened to the conversation, then I pull clips from the actual movie of things that kind of reflect what Sarah and Alex's conversation has dove, dove into, divin, divved into. And then I, derved, derved. And then I write music behind to accompany behind the, those clips. And I kind of like, I don't I, I like don't really know how to explain it other than it's just a sound clash. Maybe I can just like send one to you so that you can, you know, I don't know, play it or something. Throw one in. Yeah. Sure. Throw one in. That would be cool. Um, yeah, but they're so fun to do, especially because it's like uh, speaking of like getting rid of your ego, like, you know, everything for this show has nothing to do with me, which is kind of great because then you can just write just for like, how does this support the themes of the show? How does this make things feel better? Does it actually serve the purpose or is, you know, whatever. So it's really fun. Mm. So um, Alex was we, we were you all the three of us were hanging out. And having a wonderful time. Yeah. Um, and Alex was talking about how good of an editor you are, that you mm-hmm. have this like natural ability to know what to keep and what to leave um, that he usually like can't teach someone. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you relate to the act of editing and how has working on this podcast impacted your editing when it comes to your own music? Oh, wow. Yeah. It's totally like kind of the same muscle, I feel. I, I used to work as like... Um, like a like I guess a tutor or like an editor for um 
students who are writing essays. And um, it's definitely the same process where, you, you know, you take kind of this like raw piece of work and then you kind of have to, I mean, Sarah and Alex are, are genius and they do a great job. And so it's it's generally pretty easy to shape their conversation into something that is, you know, digestible. But, you know, it is kind of like chipping away at things and kind of thinking like, okay, well, does this actually serve the point that they're trying to make? Does it distract? Like, how do we, you know take this section that was, you know, you originally talked about it at the end, but it makes more sense if you do it up front. And it's the same thing as when you're editing your own songs. Like I'm a big editor of my songs. Like I'll write a song three or four times. I'll change the lyrics. I'll put it in different perspectives. Like it's totally the same thing. And so, yeah, I get a lot out of trying to change things around to see how they work best. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. It's like you're a god. (laughs) 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 trying to be I guess (laughs) (laughs) this is really interesting um an interesting uh place that you're at because you've been editing this podcast Mm -hmm. for over a year now and you've been editing Sarah and Alex's voices Mm -hmm. like very intimately Mm -hmm. um and in particular Alex is your husband so Mm -hmm. like how has being that closely engaged (laughs) with his voice maybe changed things in your relationship? Well, I I won't lie. Like sometimes when we're just, if I've been editing a lot in a week, like often I hear conversations and like what I would take out or what I would, you know, <laughs> condense sometimes, <laughs> but not just with him. Like I, I actually end up listening to Sarah a lot more than him because I often end up editing for You're Wrong About as well sometimes. So Sarah is the voice that I hear the most in the world. And usually Alex actually ends up talking less than Sarah. And so at least like over the the average of those two podcasts, obviously, because he's only in one of them. But yeah, I definitely will sometimes be listening even just to myself and be like, okay, well, I'm going to cut out that like, I'm going to like combine this idea, you know, things like that. Even right now, I'm like watching my voice go by on like the logic screen and seeing like, okay, well, there's a laugh. I can, you know, I can kind of see visually like what I would change. You don't have to, you don't have to edit this podcast. <laughs> oh, <Caroline>. good, good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so can you give us an update on the music for You Are Good? Is there yeah. um, an album releasing uh, September on your band camp? So it's actually October 1st when the full the full album is going to okay. be coming out. It's on like the October band camp Friday. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about this album. Like I said, I've been writing music for this podcast for a year and usually the, the music only comes out through the episodes and I feel lucky that people are enjoying them enough that we're going to release them as an actual album. And so, yeah, I've like over the course of the summer, I've been like kind of re-editing and remixing and doing and adding some stuff to all of these songs to kind of flush them out, um, make them more standalone songs rather than just a accompaniment to the episode. And yeah, it'll come out on October 1st of this year. And you have done all of the production work? Everything. Yeah, truly everything. So that's wow. also been the best thing about living in Maine and having this time in the pandemic is that there's no way I would have had the time or, you know, the flexibility in my schedule before to be able to like learn anything about engineering or learning anything about, you know, recording in general. So I feel really, really grateful that I've had this opportunity. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah. I'm so excited for everyone and all of the skills they've learned during this terrible time. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Just to um, clarify, the songs on this record, are they original songs? Some of them are originals and some of them are covers. So, um, yeah, it kind of it kind of varies from week to week, like because this is kind of like a, you know, we are a three person team. There's only so much uh, there's only so much time in the week. And sometimes sometimes I don't have time to write an entire song. But then also sometimes it just makes more sense to that like another song that already exists out there in the the world like makes more sense to support the episode musically. So mm-hmm. so some of the let's see so what are some of the ones the covers that we've done. Let's see. I did In the Navy by uh the Village People. 
Wait, is that is that the village? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Pretty Woman, um, you know, and then also just originals that I've written. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. There's that Issa Burke collaboration going to be e- on there? Yes, it will. That one was Oof. really, really fun. Yeah, Issa was on You Are Good talking about the, um, the parent trap. The parent trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I loved. Uh, also, I am... I've seen the uh, original Parent Trap more times than the the new one, mm-hmm. but I think I mentioned I maybe I texted it to you or something. But mm-hmm. I used to work at this department store, and I didn't have a supervisor, so I would go to the sight and sound department and just like watch the movies that were playing. Oh my gosh! And the new Parent Trap was on loop, so I probably have watched it like hundreds and hundreds of times, just in like fifteen minute chunks. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> that was a very delightful episode oh, good. and also Alex really made me appreciate oh god what's her name Lindsay Lohan yeah totally oh my god yeah 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 that was a really fun one okay so we've got the album coming out in October mm-hmm. is there anything else on the horizon in terms of new music from Carolyn Kendrick? Oh, there's a lot on the horizon. Yeah. So I just got out of the studio, um, the actual studio, not my home studio. Um, Let's see. I think last weekend or two weekends ago, I recorded two new singles that I'm really excited about. And I have a ton of music that's like in the can, so to say, like I have plans for a new album probably to be recorded next year. And mm. uh, I have a project with Sam Armstrong Zikafus that we've been, you know, kind of waiting for the pandemic to kind of fizzle a little bit more. And then mm. that will be happening. Um, yeah, lots of new music and lots of new projects coming up. And you've recently closed on a house in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So you're getting back to yeah. the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. What has it been like to, you know, you're kind of like waiting until the pandemic is is over like what has it been like to be away from um from that mecca from from nashville yeah it's been well i mean i kind of don't know yet to be honest i feel like i feel like once we're back in madison and back in nashville um like the effects will be a little bit more evident to me i kind of feel like i've just been living a totally different like you know i talk with my friends that are living there and I mean, really up until the summer, it seemed like basically not all that much was happening if you were trying to be a safe and conscientious citizen. Like you couldn't mm-hmm. really do that much and things were not all that vastly different here. So it kind of felt like everybody was living these virtual lives. But in the last, yeah. I don't know, you know, since this summer has been like vaguely more like somewhat more safe since vaccines have come out, I think like once once we get down there, I've then all feel like okay yeah like there's been this whole other thing that's been happening while the but I feel really thankful that we've had this community in Maine like the community the music community in Maine is strong right now and I feel really lucky that I've been able to be part of it while while we while I've been here yeah Mm -hmm. Maine is rad yeah it's great okay before I let you go will you do the lightning round yeah let's do it yes okay here we go what was the first song you learned on the guitar? I'm over you. What is your karaoke song? Oh, um, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Ah! <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. Dogs or cats or something else? Dogs. What is your coffee order? Like at a coffee shop, it's usually like an iced latte. At home, it's black with cream and sugar. Mm. First celebrity crush. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, I'm embarrassingly, Jeremy Sumter, who played, I can't believe I'm telling you this, who played the, um, he played Peter Pan in the live action remake of Peter Pan in like the mid aughts. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even want to finish this anymore. Yeah. That's such a good answer. Oh my God. Great. Great. Yeah. <laughs> True to form. Very on brand. Carolyn Kendrick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Bruce Molsky. First album you bought with your own money? Oh, um, a, the Beatles' number one album, like their greatest hits. Yeah. Nice. What was your first concert? Oof, probably seeing my dad at the Syracuse Jazz Festival. Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Oh, this is a hard week to ask that, but 
I, I, I know. Beatles. Beatles. Flying or invisibility? Invisibility. Wow. Okay, Carolyn. Yeah. Wow. Star Trek or Star Wars? Oof. Star Trek. Which generation? I feel like I don't know enough to answer, to be honest. I just know it's not Star okay. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the last question. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oof. Oof. The tie between Mount Meru in Tanzania or Taos, New Mexico. Ooh. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right, that's it. Wow, amazing. The lightning round is complete. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been really nice to talk to you, and let's have you back on again when you get that new record, when you talk about more of your feelings. Totally. I love I love it. I love talking with you about my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> also, sorry, it looks like my I have this little light in my box, mm-hmm. and it is slowly dimmed as our conversation oh, is has going it? on. So like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm basically like in the dark right now. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. I kind of just assumed that like the sun was going down. <laughs> yeah. Basic Folk This Week was produced by Sarah Siplak. Our music by Alex Stanton of the band Townspeople. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I am Cindy Howes, and I'm so happy that you checked out the whole episode today. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can get them anywhere you find podcasts and check out our website, basicfolk.com. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.